Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour is here. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Pleased to be joined by Brent Hubbs and Austin Price. The VolQuest Power Hour each and every Friday going into the weekend, talking all things Tennessee football, Tennessee athletics, and in this case, SEC Media Days and SEC Expansion. Gentlemen, great to have you both back. Austin, welcome back. Brent, good to see you. So uh, it's um, hang on your hats. If you thought it was interesting before, <laughs> it's only going to get more interesting as we move forward. That's for sure. Austin, you came back at the right time with the with the busy move, uh, movement with uh, SEC Media Days, no doubt. Yeah, my favorite uh, you know event of the year, um, and I shake my head because I don't believe that. Um, you know, unless you're covering a Lane Kiffin or a Mike Leach or a Steve Spurrier that kind of can you know. Just throw it out there, you know. Hey, don't it's sell all kind of Eli Drinkwood short. Come on now. <laughs> in most cases, it's a lot of coach talk and, and coach speak and, you know, um, kind of is what it is. But I, I am ready for fall camp to start, which gets, uh, you know, officially kicked off, uh, you know, uh, August 4th. And then I'm ready for Tennessee's first game. So give me the September 2nd, Hubbard. I'm, 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 I'm ready for some real games. I told you that on the way to Birmingham. It's been a long, 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 long off season, and so I'm ready to kind of turn the page and, and get to a new season. Brent, let's start with you on the news of the week with Texas and Oklahoma. Your reaction when you when you saw this report uh, from the Houston Chronicle uh, on Wednesday, and just your reaction in general to Texas and Oklahoma joining the Southeastern Conference and what it means, big picture. Well, my first reaction was, okay, here we go again with Texas, right? Because, mm-hmm. the, you know, there was the the drama, uh, what, 10 years ago, where was Texas going? They had all these options out there, supposedly, and they were leaving, and they ultimately ended up staying in the Big 12. So your first thing was, okay, um, you know, this is they're, – they're wanting something more, needing something more, and, and that's all this is, is a, is a leverage move with the Big 12. But then when you start talking to a lot of people – it's very different. Um, this is a very different deal. Uh, Texas and, and Oklahoma both were not on a conference call last night with the Big 12. Uh, there's certainly movement afoot. And, and I'll give both those schools and, and conferences credit for keeping it quiet for as long as they did. This is this is not something that's just the talk is just generated. I mean, it's been out, you know, they've been talking for a while, apparently. And um, I think it's very legitimate. I'm not saying it's a done deal, but it looks like it's very very real and very possible and um you know if you're the sec and and your your goal is to keep us expansion is going to happen what you don't want is you don't want oklahoma or texas going to the acc or 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 the big 10 uh and so i think the you know the conference commissioner is saying hey to all of its member institutions we can we can make more money if these two guys are in our league and, and we could control in a lot of ways, college football. And, and I think that's probably Greg Sankey's selling point 
even to the schools in this league who are not really excited about the thought process of those two schools coming in. We know Texas A&M is clearly against it, but I don't think there's going to be enough votes for uh, the league to say, no, we're not going to accept those two teams if that's where they get to. Austin, what do you add to that? Well, I think, uh, you know, the biggest thing I want to add is just the fact that, you know, whatever the SEC does, and it certainly looks like that this is so far down the road that that there's no stop at the train. You know, the train's, you know, picked up – steam and we're moving full full speed ahead towards those two teams joining this conference the biggest thing i think that you know if you're south carolina or tennessee or kentucky a program that's you know really you know improved a lot over the last you know seven or eight years under mark stoops you know or or any other team that's not alabama lsu florida or georgia i i think you're wanting to see how this looks you know hey or what what are we doing here is this going to be four pods like some people are pushing out there what do the pods look like it, I, you know, what are we going to do? I mean, if it's in two divisions, I mean, you know, they got to be pretty even. You can't just, you know, I mean, like sometimes you can kind of get lopsided. Look at the Big Ten. I mean, like their divisions make no sense at all. It's it's literally like this real top-heavy division and then the other division is with like one team, you know, Wisconsin, you know, over there. I mean, like, I mean how Ohio State, Penn State, you know, Michigan, Michigan State all end up in one division over here on one side. To me, it's never made sense to me. I think that's as big a deal in any of this is what does it look like? How, how is it evenly spaced out? I mean, let's face it, your best teams are likely going to rise and going to be right there in the end anyways. But you also don't want programs going into the season. And let's face it, right now Tennessee's, you know, nowhere near looking at trying to compete for championships in, in you know, in this league. But, you know, You'd also don't want them discouraged where they feel like they can't get there either. So um, what does it look like, you know, with, with these two teams added? Well, here's the thing, too. Here's the thing, too, I think, sorry, Paul, that, that I think the commissioner has to be very mindful of with some of its original founding institutions. And, and I think the biggest question that, or the biggest thing he has to do is he has to preserve um, some of the natural rivalries that have been there for a long time. And that's why I wrote in the war room this week or this morning. I, I think that it, it may create it a little bit lopsided, as Austin was talking about. But if you moved an Auburn and Alabama, if you kept it divisions and didn't do pods, I think if you're doing pods, then you're looking at it at, at quickly expanding beyond 18. Okay. I think you're looking at doing five or six pods and going to a 20 or 24 person conference sooner rather than later. If you're only going to add two more teams and go to 16, uh, then I think you could still keep divisions. And if you moved Auburn and Alabama to the east, then you preserve the Tennessee-Alabama game. You preserve Georgia-Auburn, which is the longest-running game in the SEC. You preserve the Iron Bowl as well. And so if you're the commissioner of the SEC and you're wanting to protect the traditions of some of the founding schools, that's, to me, the easiest way to do it. The problem with that for me, problem with that for me is, you just, like, if you're, a, if you're Tennessee or Kentucky or – any of these teams are trying to claw your way out. Like, do you not feel defeated before it gets going? I mean, if you're Tennessee and you can't beat Florida, you can't beat Alabama, what are you playing for? I mean, and I get that's kind of where they're at right now. You've got to walk before you can run. But uh, to me, that's where this if, – if you shift Auburn and Alabama to the east, the west looks so weak. And it just does. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma, great. Their name value. What are they on the field against really good competition? And I know what Brent's saying. I agree. 
you know, although I, I argued on the, the our podcast, the traditionalists ain't going to like this, but the best thing that could happen to Tennessee is to get Alabama off the schedule on a yearly basis. So if you draw, pick up on that, Austin, if you're drawing it up in a, the best, mo- most realistic, favorable way for Tennessee, is it divisions, is it pods and a 16-team SEC? What's a reasonable expectation that looks good for Tennessee that you think's realistic? Well, I think the pods, you know, look, I guess, more doable. You know, even if you go off the SEC network pod, which was Alabama, Auburn, that's two pretty good ones right there, Tennessee and Vanderbilt. To me, that looks better than if you're playing Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, and Florida every year. That just seems like a no-win situation. Brent? Well, I think if you're playing pods and, and, and your and your pod is Auburn, Alabama, uh, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, what are they going to take to get to have a chance to get to a to a divisional championship or a, or a conference championship? You're going to have to finish in the top two. I mean, how realistic or how quickly are you going to finish in the top two as opposed to, uh, you know, what? Again, I, I don't think there's an easy answer here. I don't understand how the pods would work to try to go through a championship. Are you going to do an SEC playoff before you go into a, yes. a college football playoff? So now you're going to play a 20-game season or 21-game season or something. I mean, I just think, you you know, that's that's going to get kind of crazy. I, I, I think, that, again, to get everybody on board with this, other than making more money, I think the one thing that some people are going to say, some presidents and some people are going to say is, are we going? If we're Alabama, are we going to get Auburn every year? Do we get to play them every year? Georgia's going to say, do we get the Auburn game every year, which has been played for a hundred years? Ole Miss, Mississippi State, you're going to get the Egg Bowl. You know, some of those things. I think some of the founding institutions are going to want to preserve. You know, in football, can you do that? I don't know. Maybe you just walk in and say, hey, you know what? We're blowing all that up, and we're not going to do those things. And and. You know, but you got to look at geography. You got to look at at travel. All of those things for the pod that make the most sense to make that work. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. Sounds like the pod is kind of the direction that they're going. Again, I think the re- the reasoning for the pod is that makes it easier to expand again, if that's what you want to do. And I think that's where we're going. We're going into super conferences, and super conferences are not going to be sixteen team conferences. They're going to be bigger than that. The, the problem, the problem for me, is that Tennessee, and, and again, uh, because Tennessee plays Alabama every year, they've basically had what Brent's proposing anyway. I mean, you know what what Brent's proposing about Auburn and Alabama moving to the East. Every three years, they get on a run where they have Alabama and LSU, Alabama and Auburn, Alabama and A and M, and then they kind of go into that lull. And Tennessee's never been able to match it up to where they play the one of the lesser teams in a year where they're really good you know um you you go back to 2016 tennessee beats georgia and they beat florida and then what happens they play a&m losing overtime lose to alabama and then they come back off the bye week and blow it against south carolina and we all know what what happened after that but like there i get there's not a whole lot of breathing room i just feel like that it would be smothering for Tennessee or any program that's trying to kind of, you know, build if you have that kind of murderer's row like we're talking about. Brent, you first, then Austin, uh, give your take here. We, we know that if 
if they don't have the 75% member institutions to vote this through, it would fail. But at the same time, my thought is you vote yes, because if you don't vote yes, then Texas and Oklahoma will end up in another super conference and not in the SEC. That much I think we know. They're not going to stay in the Big 12. With that in mind, Brent, who would vote no other than Texas A&M? I think when you present it that way, nobody. Um, and I think that's what you're. I think that's what's presented, and I think that's what the commissioner is telling every member institution, guys. If you say no, they're going to be elsewhere, okay. And if we want to be the big dog, right? If we want to be, if we want to be the, 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 you know, we want to be the dictators, if you will, in college football. We want to set policy. We want to dictate how things go. We want to have control in the most lucrative sport in college athletics then we don't need to lose our, our grip on this. We, we need to maintain our grip, and let's bring in Texas, who's got power, and let's bring in Oklahoma, who's been a perennial playoff-caliber team the, the last few years. Um, you don't want them going somewhere else. A&M, you know, I think what will happen is it will come out at some point, if this, if this goes through, it, it was a 14-0 vote. Because a and is not going to be the long-standing school, I don't think, that's going to stand up there and plant a flag at 13-1. and one. You know, um, I just don't see that ultimately happening. I don't see how it benefits them. So I think it'll ultimately be a unanimous vote if, if they get that far down the road. And Austin, you? Oh, uh, because, uh, you know. Uh, for me, I, you know, I look at it not just from a football standpoint, guys. I look at it from a totality of athletics. When you look at yeah. how it helps softball, how it helps basketball, like it makes sense in a lot of ways when you're talking about improving the overall conference, like every sport. I mean, you look at golf, men's golf, women's golf. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, everybody looks at football and, and rightfully so, but how it helps all the other sports baseball i mean i i think this is a, a you know this is a win if you're if you're greg sankey getting these two teams you look at you know kansas is talking to the big 10 you've seen that come out in the last couple of hours that's great kansas brings basketball but what else do they bring they i mean like it doesn't help big 10 football whatsoever so um you know to get texas and oklahoma that's two blue blood athletics programs not just football programs, but really athletics on, on the whole, that, that's a huge win for Greg Sankey. I know some of the league may not like it, but I think they'll fall in line and get on board. But I think to fall in line and get on board again, you have to do it in a way where everybody feels like, okay, everybody given the right time to, to build their program would have a shot. I don't mean that, you know, they're going to win championships, but they would at least have a shot. Well, here, here's, but here's the thing. And, I think this is what it comes down to for me, that what's going to come in the league. They don't need Oklahoma or Texas for baseball. Baseball's the SEC baseball team. They, they had half the league in the top ten this year. Oklahoma softball's been on a great run, but there's traditionally been more SEC teams in the Women's College World Series than any other conference the last five years. Basketball, they've won their share of championships. Football, we know where they are. Again, I think the football factor that you maintain a strength hold is important. The bottom line is when Greg Sankey gets in a room with the presidents and ADs and says, hey, when we bring these two teams in, we're all going to make this much more money, then everybody's going to say, okay. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about how do we control football and make the most money. And that's not a knock on those other sports, 
but that's what this is about. No, nobody's sitting there, and I'm not. I'm not arguing with you, Austin, but I, I get your point. But I don't think I don't think the ACC is going. Boy, I wish we could get Oklahoma in for all the totalitarian sports. No, we want them in because they make football money. You know, the Big Ten's interested in them in football. The, the, the Big Ten was interested in Texas for football the last time. I think football's driving this train, and the cash is driving the train. So, uh, Brent, I know both you and Austin have mentioned sort of the coach speak of SEC Media Days. One coach that does not go into coach speak is Mike Leach of Mississippi State. And he had some things to say about the coup d'etat, as he called it, at Tennessee, that he was involved in the coaching search until a coup d'etat happened, and he was thrilled that he didn't get caught up in the coup that took place at Tennessee. Brent, we'll start with you on this one. What did you make of those statements from Mike Leach? I know that sort of brought back up all the memories of, of the craziness of the John Curry search. Well, I mean, I, I don't know that it was a coup d'etat other than, you know, John Curry went off the grid and didn't talk to anybody and nobody knew where he was and he didn't communicate with his superiors. So they told him to come home and you're going to lose your job. Um, I mean, that's not like they rallied at the, at the statue, Austin, and said, hey, we don't want Mike Leach. I mean, this, this was a direct insubordination based on all the documents that were dumped and released to the media. It was a situation where John Curry was, was insubordinate. He couldn't be found. They couldn't track him down. He went and talked to somebody without conveying what he was doing, tried to offer him a contract without having the approval to do so. So they flew him back home and, and, and fired him. I mean, basically, it wasn't a coup. It was John Curry not having the authority to go out there and try to hire Mike Leach is, is what, if you read all the documents, is how it ended up happening, Austin. Yeah, I mean, I, I think more than anything, Curry, I think probably had seen the entire search get publicized every turn down, every turn down, every turn down in the media. And I think possibly went off the grid because he was trying to keep something um, you know, from getting out and then not being able to trust people who, you know, look, most people around Tennessee like to talk, um, you know, that I think trying to protect that, I think he probably did go off the grid. Was it the right move? It proved not to be for him, uh, in the short term. Now the long term, he's the AD at, uh, his alma mater in Wake Forest and, and probably in a better you know situation for him, uh, long term. But, uh, you know, at the time it kind of was what it was, I, I you know, Look, I think Mike Leach would have been fabulous for six months. I think Mike Leach would have, you know, won a game he wasn't supposed to in year one like he did last year when he beat LSU. But Mike Leach routinely loses games he's not supposed to as well. And at the end of the day, listen, nobody complained about Butch's slogans until Butch started losing to South Carolina and to Vanderbilt like he did in 2016 Um, and kicking a field goal. Uh, at the at the one yard line, those type things, and at the other day, Mike Leach would have not won a game that he was supposed to win, and all the funny snippets and jokes and anecdotes and tales that he rolls with would have grown tiresome. He would not have been a good fit here long term. That I'll you'll never convince me otherwise. Again, would have been fun in the short term, long term, I just don't see it. And guys, while while Josh Heupel performed well in Hoover, there was a lot of coach talk with Coach Heupel, but what was one thing from each of you? Austin, I want to start with you on this. One takeaway of something that Josh Heupel said in his opening remarks, an answer he gave to a question that stood out to both of you. Austin, let's start with your one thing from Heupel. Well, I'll just go with the jerseys. I mean, it's evident they're going to wear jerseys. 
um, that aren't orange and white. Um, we've chronicled it pretty well at VolQuest that, that Tennessee will likely have a black jersey sooner rather than later. Um, you know, as far as on the field, you know, I think more than anything, it's just competitions abound in year one, like they should be. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you expect going forward to see, you know, you know, some pretty, you know, highly contested matchups and, and positions uh, in fall camp. We'll see who comes out on top of those. Brent, you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, specifically the competition about quarterback, you know, he was asked, um, why did you bring Joe Milton into the room with some of the quarterbacks you already had on your roster? And he talked about the need for more competition and wanting competition um, there. And, and then he went on to brag pretty good about Joe Milton's skill set, what he could do. Uh, and then ask as a follow-up about how you manage reps. And he said guys would, you know, it would be up to the guys. Guys, you know, guys who practice well will earn more reps. Guys who don't practice well will lose reps. And so I thought that was probably the most telling regarding the quarterbacks is kind of I don't have a date necessarily to pare it down to two, but it sounds like he's got in his mind it's probably going to start sorting itself out pretty quickly uh, based on who practices well and will get more reps from that standpoint. I thought that was probably the most um, I don't say honest, but the most thorough answer he gave regarding kind of how that competition is going to work. Yeah, Brent brings up a good point about, you know, starting to pare it down. And, you know, if you practice well, you're going to earn more. And if you don't practice well, you're going to lose more. You know, the last staff, they did a lot of two platoon, two spot, and, and, and you know, everybody was kind of getting equal stuff. You know, it, it sure sounds, Brent, like this staff is going to be anything but. Maybe that first week, but after that, like if you have a bad day of practice – you're going to see a lot less reps than than what you did under the last staff if you had a, lot, a bad day of practice. Maybe this is an easy answer for both of you. Uh, maybe not, but in, in terms of being under the radar at SEC Media Days, where where is this Tennessee trip to Hoover compared to years past? Oh, I think Tennessee is way under the radar. Um, and, and, I mean, I'm not trying to be negative, but they were a bit of an yeah. afterthought that day. You had Lane Kiffin in the house. Um, you had Kirby Smart there. Uh, you had everybody reacting to the commissioner's um, discussion about vaccination the day before, uh, where that was still the biggest storyline at that point. Obviously, that the news had not broke about potential expansion. But I, I, don't, I don't think there were a lot of national writers who were looking for a Tennessee storyline in, in day two at Hoover, I, I think Tennessee was very much under the radar, um, as, as we've seen today. I mean, Tennessee was, you know, picked in the bottom half of the Eastern Division, Austin, as we expected. But there just wasn't a whole lot of Tennessee buzz being in the building. No, there wasn't. I, I was surprised they were picked fifth. Um, you know, I could have seen them being picked sixth. Um, I want to know who voted South Carolina. I'm sure that's tongue-in-cheek, but still, come on. Um, you know, uh, very uh, interesting, you know, to note that I think Tennessee always plays better as a as as an athletics program, whether it's basketball, football, or whatever, as the underdog. You know, I'm not saying they're going to go out and win a bunch of games this fall. I'm just saying that I think kids react better when they're kind of doubted, um, and so they're going to be doubted from the get go this year. And so um, we'll see what uh, you know what leaders step up and can kind of rally and use this as motivation because you know somebody on this team right now is is reading everything that's said and seeing how Tennessee's being thought of and using his motivation. We'll see if that, that, that plays any kind of dividend later in the year. We've talked with you guys a lot about the speed in terms of the pace of the offense. Um, you've got some information now about the speed of some of the players who are going to be part of the pace of that offense. 
what have you learned and how uh, excited should people be about the explosive potential of some of these guys? Well, I mean, I, I think what we're learning is that for Josh Heupel and his offensive staff, everything centers around speed. And it's not just speed between snaps, Austin. I, I think when you look at um, going all the way back to Emmanuel Hall at Missouri, uh, when Josh Heupel was a coordinator to the receivers they had a year ago, uh, I, I think they had four wide receivers a year ago, averaged over 13 and a half yards a catch. Uh, you don't get vertically down the field like that if you can't run. And so for Josh Heupel, it's all about speed. Um, he will take fast over polished route runner and, and great hands any day of the week, it sounds like. And uh, does Tennessee have enough speed to run his offense the way that he wants him to? I don't know. I thought it was interesting uh, on that particular day that a running back was one of the top two fastest offensive players on Tennessee's roster, Austin. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about getting the ball to playmakers, and that's receivers, running backs, even a tight end. I mean, you saw Princeton Fant on uh, on that list that day. Interesting, I thought, more than anything, Brent was just, you know, out of the, the guys as far as miles per hour. So, you know, fastest as far as miles per hour. Three of the top five were not on Tennessee's roster when it last played a football game to end out last year against Texas A&M. That tells you that they've – whether it was guys from the old staff bringing them in or new additions uh, like Javante Payton, the transfer from Mississippi State, who's from Middle Tennessee. Um, you know, Tennessee has gotten faster overall as a team. And, you know, w- what does that mean? Um, only time will tell. But you're right. He, he does value the ability to run. Uh, and, and Tennessee's going to throw it, I think, down the seam a lot and throw it, throw it vertically a ton. Um, you know, under Josh Heupel. Guys, what do you think was the reaction from everyone in Tennessee football and Tennessee athletics when Nick Saban said that their quarterback is close to a million dollars in name, image, likeness, revenue right now? Was I know it was a head turner for Lane Kiffin, who when told that had to go back and tell someone else and ask if that was true or not. How do you think Tennessee reacted to that news? Well, I, I mean, I think Tennessee reacted the same way everybody, everybody in college football reacted, college athletics reacted. You know, was you know, here's a guy at, at Alabama who's not started a game. He's got 26 career passing attempts, and is, you know, in his time in college, and and now he's got a deal, you know, uh, of or a collection of deals that's going to pay him uh, supposedly a million dollars. I think everybody's saying, hey, where's my slice of that pie? How, how do I get some of that action? And I, I would say a lot of people are trying to figure out, you know, what what he's got going and where he's found, you know, where he's found deals like this at. I, I think it was not just at Tennessee, Austin. I think everybody around the country, because we have not heard of these kind of blockbuster type deals. We have not heard about this dollar amount other than a couple of random things, you know, or that that first week. You haven't heard about anybody getting this kind of money. Well, I, it's <laughs> I mean, let's face it, it's. It's a legal way of, of, of it's, not, it's not even cheating anymore. It's just a legal way of paying kids. Um, so I, I'm not surprised that, you know, Alabama or whoever else that's in the upper echelon of college football has figured out a way to make sure that their bread and butter type players are taken care of. Now, the fact that, you know, again, as Brent pointed out, you know, he, he's not ever started a game. You know, to me, that's, that's where it kind of gets slippery because it's like, you know, what has he done to earn it outside of being the guy that's going to be under center when Alabama takes the field against Miami? 
He's not done anything. But then again, remember we joked on this show about the fact that Georgia had a true freshman quarterback already have a deal in place, but yet their starting quarterback with Heisman odds at the time did not. So I think a lot of it depends on who you know and, uh, you know, maybe relationships that uh, you formed um, rather quickly once you got to campus or before campus. Brent Hubs and Austin Price with us from VolQuest.com. Brent uh, and Austin as well, we heard Heupel say that his his group is close to the 80% vaccination rate for his team. We know Alabama and Vanderbilt are two of those teams that are over that 80% rate. Is there some clarity at all with how close Tennessee is to that 80% threshold? And what will it benefit SEC schools if they reach that threshold. For instance, I know in the war room today, you mentioned how Tennessee's about to go back into the three tests per week protocol. Does that reduce if they reach the 80% threshold? Well, I don't, I don't know. No, I don't know that it reduces in terms of how many times you're going to be tested. It will reduce the number of people that have to be tested. Uh, and it moves you further along to a situation where you, you might not have to forfeit a game um, you know, I, I think that was the, the commissioner's uh, rationale for, for kind of going the way he did in his comments at, at SEC Media Days and making it very clear he is not in the business of rescheduling games. You, you either have your team ready to play or, or you don't. And if you want to ensure that your team's ready to play and you don't have any uh, COVID issues, you, bet, you better get people vaccinated. And, and once you get guys vaccinated, I don't think you test, you know, I don't think you test anybody who's been vaccinated unless – they have some type of symptom that would cause you to need to need that. Without the vaccination, you're bringing contact tracing back into play, uh, and you're putting yourself in a situation where those unvaccinated players are going to have to be tested uh, multiple times a week um, to to ensure that um, you know they're they're not causing uh, they don't have anything to to cause any kind of problem with the rest of your unvaccinated players within your roster. As for how close they are, Austin. You talk to Coach Heupel, you ask him that question. What was your vibe on that? Well, I would say they're somewhere right around 70%. Um, you know, but, you know, normally, though, I think the guys that wanted to get the vaccine have gotten it, and the ones that haven't probably don't plan on doing it. So how can you chip away and talk to enough kids and convince them to do so? That's, to me, that's a big question. You know, I, I, we had this discussion on our podcast, Brent. You look at you know, older players that are in, quote, contract years that know they're heading to the NFL like a guy like Cade Mays. Um, I think they're more apt to get it because they need the playing time. They need to be on the field, not have to worry about being tested, so on and so forth. Whereas younger kids that, you know, are probably going to redshirt, how, you know, how inclined are they to, you know, get the vaccine? So it's not a shock to see Alabama as one of those teams. Um you know, I would venture to say Georgia's probably going to be one of those teams as well because, you know, they ha- they have a, a quarterback and they have a team that they feel like they can win with and, and potentially get to the playoff and win a national title. There, I think there's going to be a, a, a greater buy-in from those organizations than the organizations that don't have that opportunity. So I love putting Austin on the spot when it comes to recruiting uh, to give me one big name. Reading the War Room, guys, I saw a lot of – there's some in-state flavor to it. There's some big names out of state that are left. Some are going to be committing soon. Others may go through the season and take visits. Austin Price, though, right now, who is the biggest name that Tennessee has a legitimate chance at landing that could be making a decision in the next month and a half? 
Addison Nichols. Like that, that's easy. Like to me, he's the most important recruit on the board. Um, you know, Hubs has heard me say this line 50 times. The kid grew up in Knoxville with his grandparents, um, was here all the time growing up, went to Long's Drugstore growing up, knows Miss Ruthie who makes the food at Long's Drugstore, which is Great the stone store from campus. Great milkshakes. <laughs> his, par- his grandparents live on the same street as Rick Barnes. They know the Haslam family well. Again, most important recruit because he's the most gettable big-name recruit on the board, in my opinion. And I'll follow up with this. In-state-wise, how many more guys are attainable that Tennessee's actually recruiting at this point? We know it's not going to be a big in-state haul this year, but are are there a couple of names still out there that Tennessee's pursuing aggressively? Well, Caden Pope, um, you know, uh, out of Savannah, Tennessee, um, you know, that one, to me, Tennessee's still the leader there. Not done by any stretch, but, uh, you know, to me, they still have the best shot to land him. They're trying to flip Cody Jones, and then we'll see what happens with the rest. Does Tennessee, if they go out and, and have some success early and win a game or two, they're maybe not supposed to, and, and score points, and they're exciting to watch even in losses, does that does that cause them to pick up the phone and call the Jordan James or call, you know, one of these players that has committed to another program? They've not done that to this point. Like, it's not like they've reached out to the Wades or Dallin Hayden or Jordan James or anybody. I think that the biggest thing is they're waiting to see if if they can show some uh, stuff on the field and get a little excitement because, you know, those kids picked the other school for a reason. Tennessee's done nothing to this point to be able to say, okay, hey, we changed the perception. They've not been able to do that yet. They've got to play some games to, you know, get some excitement and get some juice. So do they do that, you know, if they're able to have some success at some point this fall? Guys, uh, as we wrap up the Tennessee Power Hour, um, reading just a tweet from Bruce Feldman, who says, sources, Texas and Oklahoma to inform Big 12 of exit next week with plans to bolt for SEC. Um, And then he goes into details on his story at The Athletic. Brent, just final thoughts here on the idea of Texas and Oklahoma to the Southeastern Conference. And take us behind the scenes a bit, if you will, over the years of how often you've heard Texas mentioned and how likely you thought it would be then versus now. How difficult has it been to get the votes necessary? Well, I mean, I, I don't, you know, there was all those story, stories that at one point the SEC was looking at Florida State and Texas um, as an expanded team, and, and that never developed. And then after that, um, I never got the impression that, that Texas was on the move, particularly with um, – the loss there as um, as the AD. I, I think he was very committed to geographically staying in, in the in the Southwest and trying to hold the Big Twelve together. Uh, I think he felt like for Olympic sports, for travel, uh, for expenses, that everything that made the most sense. That, that I think that's why they didn't end up going to the Pac-12 ultimately when it, that was uh, thought about last time. He just looked at it; didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, and, he, and I think he felt like that staying in the Big 12 at that point in time gave Texas the best opportunity to, to play for titles in all sports. Because, you know, at some point you got to beat somebody. And, and that's what Austin's talking about. And, and, I, and when you talk about how you, you, you broker this thing around, I mean, you, you want to be in a situation where you can beat some people. Okay, you don't want to go into a, a league where, you know, you've just beat yourself up to the point that you've taken yourself out of championship contention 
because the division is so hard or your pod's so hard or whatever the case may be. And so I just think for a while under that administration at Texas, they weren't real interested in going. I don't think the Longhorn Network's got a long shelf life left. I don't think they're making money. I mean, they're making money, but I don't think ESPN is real interested in keeping that thing going. I know it's got another 10 years on the contract, but that wasn't going well. Their TV deal and their revenue share wasn't very good. And I think that Texas is looking at this from now with their new leadership, that they've got a 10 to 15 year vision in mind. Where do we need to be? We don't want to get left out. And I think Oklahoma's feeling the same way. We don't want to get left out. Oklahoma State today feels left out, Austin. You know, Kansas is trying to get somewhere because they're feeling, you know, left out. And so I, I think that they felt like with the NCAA losing its juice and everything, now's the time to make a move because a conference is going to emerge as a super conference that's going to run much of college athletics, and the SEC is the most poised to do that, Austin. You're right. Um, I look at it from from Tennessee's perspective. Um, you know, could would it make it sweeter if they were able to steadily improve, steadily improve, and beat all these teams we've talked about, and and you know, you know, win the SEC championship? Sure. You know, at some point you're going to have to beat really good teams, anyways. But I think for Tennessee, you want to Tennessee needs to be, you know. They need to be the NBA player that's went to the super team. They need they need the the easier path. They, they they're not Giannis. Okay, I know what Giannis did was great, but they need they need the, the the kind of the easier path to kind of climb out. And so um, I think that's why pods to me make more sense. Even if Alabama's in their pod, um, um, you're be talking about being one of the team versus you know four really good teams. Um, but you know th- this is this is something again we talked about that out of the jump. This thing's so far down the tracks, it ain't coming back. This is uh, this is happening, so we'll just be interested to see how they structure it and how it looks. And it's all about money at the end of the day. Sure, and it that's is. Why, that's why this is money. where this is at. This is and, why it's where it's at. And Brent, you mentioned it earlier, and I, I've touched on it a little bit over the last couple of days. The discussion of Greg Sankey behind the scenes discussing things with Texas and Oklahoma for the last several months makes me think and wonder and ponder, who else has he been talking to? Because with the foresight of the commissioner that is, is the leader at the forefront of the direction of college athletics right now, it would not be just those two programs, right? Well, I mean, I think, again, you're sitting here looking at, um, you know, super conference and, and, and how many teams do you want to have? And I think if you're Sankey, you want to make sure that you're preserving your place. And, and look, what is everybody outside of the SEC in college football? What do they think of the SEC? Right? Nobody likes them, right? Oklahoma's lamented the SEC for years because <laughs> the SEC biased. Now they're going to crawl in there and they're going to hang their banner that says it just means more, and they're going to welcome that in and they're going to be really happy. But but the rest of college sports doesn't like the SEC because of their control in football, the money sport. And, and I think if you're Greg Sankey, you want to make sure that you're preserving that. Does that mean you add two teams? Does that mean you add four teams? Does that mean you put the flag down that you're going to go two teams down? You're going to handpick where you go from here? I don't know the answer to that. But I think when Greg Sankey got wind that Texas and Oklahoma were legitimately ready to be on the move, knowing, and, and knowing the history of this league and how proactive they were under Commissioner Kramer, you know, and introducing things that everybody's followed to and where Sankey has been with things, 
they sit in a room and said, you know what? We're not giving up our edge. We are not going to let anybody close the gap on us. If we've got a chance to widen the gap with these two teams, then we're going to do everything in our power to make that happen. And I think that's the start for, for the SEC. The question is, how does the rest of the Big 12 fall out from that? What does the Big 12 do? What does the ACC do to react to it? How do they expand? What does the Big 10 do? How can they help themselves? Because the SEC is trying to expand their lead on everybody else. Brent Hubbs and Austin Price of VolQuest.com for the VolQuest Power Hour. Guys, great as always. Fast hour here. We appreciate it. We love doing this each Friday with you. We'll do it again next week as we inch towards the, the first practice on August the 4th. Thanks, boys. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Brent Hubbs, Austin Price there. And if you missed part of that, you can watch it on the replay. The podcast will be available also available at VolQuest.com. The more we've hit that, the more surprising it is that there's not some rumbling out there of the Big Ten yeah. whispering to somebody or the ACC or, well, the or latest, something. The latest tweet uh, David Reed sent us to it uh, earlier is from a reporter from Kansas that says Kansas has a call set up with the Big Ten. Um, that makes sense, especially from a basketball perspective. But, but who's prompting that call is the question. Is Kansas calling to be proactive? Yes. Or is the Big Ten? I, I'm, I'm thinking, and I think that's what you're saying, the conferences should be being the yes. actors here. And if that's Kansas calling the Big Ten, that's not what we're speculating should be happening. Why aren't the conferences making some calls. Well, keep in mind, Texas and Oklahoma picked up the phone and contacted the SEC. It wasn't the other way around. Right, but but now, as the reactionary move, you would think that the Big Ten no, the, and the ACC yes. would be making calls. The Big Ten and ACC now need to be proactive. Mm-hmm. Texas-Oklahoma started, started this domino effect by contacting the SEC. SEC was smart enough to listen and want to engage with but them. But now the next move is the conference. Now ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten, they need to be proactive enough to do this. problem with Kansas is they have little to no value in football. Right. It's a great basketball addition to the Big Ten, but they're in a tough spot now in their conference because they're not swinging a big sword uh, to steal a line from Mike Leach when it comes to the pigskin, and that's a problem. It hurts the Big Ten in current college sports. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's not. There's no. There's no help. Coming up, we hit the uh, other headlines of the week, including the Olympic Games, the opening ceremonies, 360 parlay is included in this. Wait until you see what Chad has in store for us this weekend. It's going to get weird. 360 rolls on. It's going to get weird. <laughs> Time to make it rain this weekend in Tokyo. Time for the daily parlay. Outkick 360 and FanDuel.com. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Oh, the rains of Tokyo <laughs> are upon us. The Olympics are upon us. I have ring fever right now. Olympic fever. Uh, I know that the uh, opening ceremonies were this morning. I've recorded them. I'll be watching them. Is it a bad case? Ring of fire. Ring fever. (laughs) Ring fever, uh, very treatable is what I've I've learned. Antibiotics? Just a little bit of a... Is that a cream? uh, uh, Some sort of, uh, what is it? uh, Topical ointment. Salve. What is that? Salve, yeah, from Seinfeld. Um, So here's what we're going with. We're going all Olympics on the parlay. And we're going to get a little bit weird. But not all USA, shockingly. No, not all... I did not bet against the USA, though. I thought about it, and I'll get to that. But I, I remember there was a clip that OutKick posted of me exclaiming, I'm never going to bet against the United States, and don't bet against the USA ever but we again. We don't know what he's so betting So I did privately. not bet against the USA, but here's what I bet on. Not publicly. Canada, 
to defeat Australia in softball on the money line. Latvia, minus three. That is not your traditional basketball. That is three-on-three basketball. Latvia, minus three against Poland. Serbia, minus seven and a half against China. That's also in three-on-three. These are not the easiest to find, so I'm differentiating between the sports. And then I'm going the United States versus Mexico, USA money line, softball. Look at this. Look They'll at take the, care of business, look minus at the, 720. Yeah, that big favorites there. And then finally, not betting against the U.S., but I am betting against offense. <laughs> the under, 177.5 points against France. All of these bets will close by Sunday morning around 9 a.m. Central Time. And that is our weekend parlay. Let's do it. I can't wait Let's to be interested Five dollars in gets you fifty-one dollars. Had virtually no interest in Latvia. Three Paul, on three. Give us the latest injury news update headed into training camp for AJ Brown and for Taylor Lewis. Uh, look, I know we were optimistic about these things, but finding out something definitive is big. AJ Brown, good to go off the two knee surgeries coming off last season. Didn't do anything during OTAs. Didn't do anything during minicamp. Um, and Taylor Lewan had sent out a picture of the two of them talking about Julio Jones from the training room in early June. A.J. Brown, good to go. Taylor Lewan not expected to be on PUP uh, when the Titans hit the field on Wednesday. Uh, still a tiny chance there, but good to go. Should be good to go also. A.J. completely in the clear, my understanding. Taylor Lewan almost there. So, Bud Dupree, a concern. Caleb Farley. Bud Dupree, I'd be, you and I would be completely surprised if he's not on the list. I agree. Caleb Farley, unknown. Keep hearing the speculation. There's one thing out there that he's doomed for opening day. There's another thing that he's clear uh, to go. So, I'm going to be very interested to see what happens with him. Then there, uh, I wrote, you know, a couple other guys. that Saffold got hurt on the last day of camp. Nick Westbrook-Akina wasn't practicing. Ty Sambrilo, uh didn't, didn't practice with his injury from last season. So, a couple other guys. But the most important ones, two of the most important ones, Brown definitely a go. Luan looking very good. And always a slow rollout to begin anyway with yeah, the non-padded period. And- what is it, three or four days and then full pads for the weekend? Yeah, I'm not, like not sure where the first full pads is, and people don't get to come out and see it, but right. uh, reports will abound. We have real-time news coming in on conference expansion. This is going to continue for the foreseeable future yep. now with every conference. Brian Fisher, uh, who covers college football, writes, A Pac-12 source notes anything is possible, given the shifting landscape, but there would be initial skepticism from most Pac-12 presidents to formally add any of the eight remaining Big 12 teams. Not really newsworthy, but status interesting. Their first thought is there would be initial skepticism about adding Big 12 teams. No, they're not reactionary. Their, their initial reaction is to not be reactionary, it sounds like. Uh, we, we know that the NFL is mandating the COVID-19 vaccine for tier one, for, for coaches and personnel in tier one, other than players. Um, and we're starting to see some news in regards to the, in, in, news in regards to this. Rick Dennison is out in Minnesota as the offensive line coach. He refused to get the vaccine. He's out after 27 years as a coach. Um, he's not doing it. And the Vikings and the NFL's mandating it. Uh, he chose not to, and he is losing his job because of it. Uh, they are going to turn to an Auburn special teams analyst to take his job on the eve of training That's camp. That's quite and a leap. They are, uh, a lot of NFL uh, reporters are retweeting this report 
saying that there will be more coaches to follow Denison in this order. So that's also a weekend headline as teams, the majority of the league, will start training camp next week. I will say I took coaching attendance for the Titans at minicamp after the decree was out that you couldn't work with players if you didn't have the vaccine. And we talked about the uselessness of a coach who couldn't be on the field with players. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, everyone was on the field with players. So we don't anticipate a storyline like this coming with the Tennessee Titans. It's going to be interesting to follow this, but I would think you have a nice way to fall back on that story by saying just that. We're firing him because he can't be on the field. It's because of protocols that we can't have a position coach that can't be on the field with the players. I, I mean, that's your primary function, is coaching players. Meeting right. room is a big part of it, but the single biggest part of it is that individual period. For a position coach, it's that individual period where you translate what we're talking about in the meeting room to the individual thing that you then take to the team. Well, and he already decided to make this messy by not getting the vaccine and, and you know, stating, I'm not going to do it. He could make it a lot messier by filing a lawsuit. Th- sure. that's, that's the next part of the story that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing is if someone decides to take this to court and what happens then. But again, I think the natural fallback legally for the Vikings is you can't be on the field. We're firing you because you're doing something that's a violation of protocol that keeps you from being on the field. And that's why we're firing. Well, keep in mind, Dennison has worked with Gary Kubiak in the past. Clint Kubiak is taking over in Minnesota. Dennison was there to help bridge that transition with Gary Kubiak's son in Minnesota. So now he's out. It's just an interesting story to follow from a lot of different perspectives. Just a personal note that, that has nothing to do really with Dennison's fate. He was with Kubiak when I covered the division. He was a very difficult guy for me to pull anything out of in terms of it just kind of and a now we know he's very, also very a, a very difficult guy to put something into. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's in the show Mash on that up. one. It's in the show on that one. <laughs> difficult we to both to extract something and to put something into, namely a syringe. Yeah. But Will we have official news? Will we have a press conference with Texas and Oklahoma as we begin the week? The Olympic Games begin in Tokyo. Come on, three on three. Come on, three on three competition. Let's go, Latvia. Join us Monday, noon Eastern, right here across the Outkick Network. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks. Have a big weekend. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.